Have you ever been in a fight and not know it? At least at first. You come home from a hard day of working and you just want to relax and you don't hear all the humping around of your oldest child and the short answers and the, the edge in the voice until boom, there it is. It can also happen at work. One department can be completely against another department and at war. But you don't know. You think, hey, we're all the same company. We're working together until you get blindsided. Even as a country, we have been at war at times and not know it. Yeah, we didn't know we were in World War II until Pearl Harbor. We didn't know we were at war with Al-Qaeda until 9-11. Now, the problem of having an enemy and being at war and not know it is that it doesn't go well for you. That's why St. Paul wrote to the Christians in Ephesus, and he told them that you have an enemy. You are in a battle, and this enemy is super intelligent has all of these weapons at his disposal, the, the schemes and strategies, and is deploying them so that you might be destroyed, either by inches or all at once. Destroying your relationships of love, destroying your inner world of peace so that there's anxiety and depression and jealousies and dissensions and grudges and bitterness. This enemy that Paul talks about is attacking us from multiple fronts and has stealth that you cannot see where he's coming from. Now, who is this enemy that Paul describes as the uh, uh, authorities and, and lead? Well, who are those? Well, they're not the people in the news. You know, it's not the leaders of countries whose names we know, but it is rather the devil and all of his angels. Now you might scoff a little bit and think, the devil, really, that's still a thing? Well, keep in mind, the angels were created before us. We were created a little bit lower than the heavenly beings. And they have power far outstripping ours. And for what little that we do know, the devil was created good, but rebelled against God, and maybe a third of all of the angels went with him. And now they are down on the earth, and the devil is described as a lion on the prowl, looking for someone to devour. And that someone is you and me. Now, you might think, well, surely now that we're in a modern age, we've kind of got past this. But I would have you consider C.S. Lewis and his book, The Screwtape Letters. He directly dealt with this in this book. Screwtape was a senior demon writing to an apprentice demon, Wormwood. And he assured Wormwood that as long as human beings are not aware of their wiles, their schemes, as long as they disbelieve that they exist at all, they have quite all this freedom to do what they want. We are at the mercy of what will happen next. So St. Paul, he encourages us to be wise to Satan and to put on the full armor of God. And so in our message this morning, we're going to be looking at what it means to 
be wise to his schemes. And what is this full armor? As we look at the schemes of the devil, we also need to know a little bit about human nature and where this battle is being fought. Human beings, we have within us a desire to do what is good. Notice that I didn't say that we are good. We have a desire to do what is good. We are just really terrible at it once we are apart from God. For the good that we choose is only good for ourselves and often bad, hurtful, deadly to our neighbor. I just think of in the garden, Adam and Eve, they didn't eat the forbidden fruit because they wanted to be evil. No, they looked at the fruit because it was good and it would be a good thing. No, the best thing for them. And so they took it and they ate. See, there in the human heart where we do our choosing for our good, there is the battlefield. For what the devil would put before us would seem good, but in the end, it is a life of misery. So I'd like to introduce you to a a Puritan minister who lived in the 1600s. His name was Thomas Brooks. and hide the hook. Yes, get us to think about how good it would be. And keep in mind, that's exactly what we're always trying to look for, what will be good for us. And then hiding the life of misery behind it. And it's not just the the obvious sensual things, but it's often good for us just to lie, to get our way. It's often good just to do things our own way, not consider the needs of others. But there is the hook. And we are a slave. We are bound to that which we cannot say no to. The bait is just so good. The second temptation, that we rationalize sin as a virtue. Yes, I'm not a bully. I'm just strong-willed in getting my way because, well, my way is best. And you all need to get in line with it. I'm not nosy. I'm just concerned. Hey, I'm not a gossip. I just think you really ought to know these things. You can add it to your prayer life. The third temptation is to show the sins of Christian leaders and hide their repentance. We consider in our heart, you know, what other people have done, especially those who are supposed to know better and who are in charge. And as we see in their lives, well, they did it. You know, why can't I? I mean, just look at the the number one guy of the Old Testament, King David, a man after God's own heart. Yeah, he, um, he murdered a guy to cover up the fact that he had an adulterous affair with the guy's wife, and she was pregnant. And so we think about, well, you know, if that sort of thing, and, you know, you find a lot of those kind of stories in the Bible. I mean, Samson was a mess, and yet he's considered a hero of the faith in the book of Hebrews. And so you begin to think of all these different Christian leaders and contemporary and biblical, and you think, well, you know, yeah, this will be good for me. 
Fourth temptation would be to overstress God's goodness, His grace. You know, God just loves us. And so we think about how God is love, and we can just do what we want, and, and yeah, and that really finds a home in our hearts. The fifth temptation is to become bitter over suffering. As you think about all that you do that goes unthanked, unrecognized, unacknowledged, people just take you for granted. Or in your sufferings, you have suffered more than anyone you know, and no one seems to care about you. See, this bitterness in the heart, you know what it does? It dissolves love. It dissolves love between friends, congregation members, even in your own family. The sixth temptation is to consider how many bad people have great lives. Think about it. Look at these people. They're, they just do anything they want, and it's horrible, but there seems to be no repercussions. Think about all the things you could be doing with all of your money rather than giving some of it away. Think of what you could be doing with your time rather than spending it in church or serving other people. Yeah. The seventh temptation is to dwell on meaningless matters. Just keep scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. Satan has more than one way to get at us, and his stealth can sneak in and we not realize that we just think it's our thoughts, but it is actually born of Satan. And the first accusation to consider is to um, focus on your sins more than your Savior. You just think about what a horrible person you are. Yes, you can see why you don't have any friends. You can see why people can be with you for a while and then they kind of get tired of you. You can see why you have trouble keeping a job. You can see why you are a second-class citizen or even Christian. How can God even put up with you? And this leads us to the second accusation. And all of these really are mixed and matched by Satan in our minds and we don't even see it coming. The second accusation is to help us focus on sins that cannot be undone. I mean, some things that we do that are bad, we can make amends for it. But some, once they've been done, they're done. And there's no going back. The, the words have been said. The actions have been taken. The, the pregnancy has been ended. The relationship has been burned. It's done. And now, you can't fix it. And so Satan would have you just keep focusing on that and how awful you really are. The third accusation is to suggest that difficulties then are punishments from God. Yes, all the bad things that are happening to you are because you are a worthless person. Because all of the bad things you've done early in your life, you're not getting a get-out-of-jail-free card. Oh, no. You will now pay for them. The fourth accusation is that real Christians would not be having the thoughts that you're having. Mm -hmm. Now, these are all very specific temptations and accusations. If you had to put them all in a more general way, Satan comes after us by presenting to us God's love and hiding His holiness. The temptations then become very easy to take. Well, God will forgive. He is love. I can just do what I want. And His holiness becomes almost a thing that doesn't even exist. 
We forget that he hates sin and he will not tolerate it. Or on the other side, for accusations, Satan will bring out big God's wrath and his judgment and hide his forgiveness. Do you recognize these schemes, the ways that Satan comes to get us? So St. Paul would write to us that we are to put on the full armor of God, that we are not helpless, that we have one who is a champion. And it's Martin Luther, he, he wrote a stanza in the Mighty Fortress hymn. He said that if all the world the devil should fill, one little word can fail him. And what is that word? It's Jesus. Jesus is the armor of God. And so you might be thinking, so when I feel tempted, all I need to say is Jesus. Or when I feel the accusations, all I need to cry out is Jesus. <laughs> okay, that is kind of silly and laughable to put it that way. But my answer unambiguous, clear, and direct is that yes, that is exactly the name to call on in every temptation and every accusation. The name of Jesus. It is the name of the Lord. It is a strong tower, and the righteous run to it, and they are kept safe. See how this works. In your accusations, when Satan is accusing you of how awful you are, no wonder people couldn't be your friends. No wonder you're a second-class Christian. You cannot fix what you have broken. Do you know what the remedy is to this, this device? Is, is to agree with it. Yes, you're right. All of the accusations are true. And not only these, Satan, but you've forgotten about this one and this one and this one. They're all true, too. And guess what? The blood of Jesus shed on the cross, has covered all of them. Jesus has had mercy on me. He has covered me. I am forgiven. That is how you counter the accusations. No matter how severe, no matter what you have done, no matter what cannot be fixed, it is the name of Jesus, the name of the Lord you cry out. It is a strong tower. The righteous run to it, and they are kept safe. Satan cannot touch you. He cannot, he cannot accuse you with the blood of Jesus, which has covered you. For his resurrection has delivered you. You are no longer a child of the dark, but of the light. You are forgiven. Well, you can see how that is the counter to the device of accusation. But what about temptation? You know, you're in the middle of the temptation. Your, your hand is on the mouse, and you're ready to go to the website that you know and you've told yourself you're not going to go to that anymore. And, and just before you click the mouse, you, you call out, no, Jesus, Jesus. Is that going to work? Well, it might. But that's hardly the right time or the opportune time to be calling. Do that. Do call for Jesus, even as your finger is going down on the mouse. But think about it. Think about Mahomes. All he has to do is throw to Kelsey, right? They're in the big game. All he has to do is throw a pass to Kelsey. It could be a sidearm. It could be off balance. All he has to do is throw it, and he does, and Kelsey catches it. 
But you cannot go to Chief Kingdom, to GHA Stadium, and you can't pick up a football and throw it to Kelsey. Even though that's all he's doing. He's just throwing the football. You can't do that because you haven't lived the life of practice and dedication that Mahomes has. So the moment to call on Jesus isn't when you're clicking, but the moment you get up. It is a lifestyle of being with Jesus, of having his word train you, of having his voice with you by memorizing that word, by by being with him in conversation and prayer. All of these are training so that when it's game day, when you feel the temptation and you call in the name of Jesus, it's not unusual. It's not a, it's not a Hail Mary pass. It's what you normally do in, in the normal times. And now when you really need him, he's there. Think about what you have been given in Jesus. You're his. He will never leave or forsake you. You are in his strong tower. You are righteous because of the blood he shed for you on the cross. How will you practice this? You will practice it by knowing the the devices of Satan. And it's not just you thinking these thoughts. Even though, you know, you don't need Satan most of the time to think them. Because we take his thoughts and then we say, I got this. And we can well water that plant into a great and glorious tree in our hearts. But it is the name of Jesus that is the cure and the help, and he is available and yours right here, right now. So to him be all glory and power and honor. Amen.